The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Welcome to another episode of Zach on Film. I am Zach. All the way across the internet is Rodrigo. Hey, man. Hey. And sitting across from me is Steven Schlager. Hello. What's happening, Steven? Hey, uh, Good Burger is finally available on Netflix. Wow, it's about time. Yeah. You know, of all the things we needed on Netflix, that is one. Yeah. I think it's like one of the one movies my dad took me to the theater, Star Wars and Good Burger. Really? Yeah. Wow. I remember going to watch Good Burger. That's weird that you bring that up. <laughs> Uh, so the Oscars were on Sunday. Yes. And obviously, since the Oscars were on Sunday, we're going to take a trip back to 1999 and talk okay. about a German film, Run, Lola, Run. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. <laughs> That's the way we do things around here. Oh, some people have asked, hey, are you guys going to talk about Oscars? I think everybody talked about Oscars. I mean, there was not... I mean, uh, we've talked about what we thought would win, who should win, yeah. those kinds of things. We've so literally we've been talking about the Oscars for like so three months. <laughs> anything that would be a reaction to would be... Well, here's what we thought would win. We talked about this months ago. There you go. So, yep. Yeah, I mean, insert insert person here was robbed. Yes, I was. You know, out of everything, I was surprised and very happy for uh, Mad Max. They won all of those below like, the line. Yeah, yeah below the line yeah, awards. Yeah. They like yep. killed it. It was insane. <laughs> like so much so that Louis C.K. made a joke about it when he was giving out whatever award he did, like an- animated feature. Oh or yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyways, we're going to talk about Tom uh, Teichler's Run, Lola, Run, 1999 film yeah. from Germany. Uh, Steven, why did we end up doing this? It was kind of your suggestion. Uh, so some people have been asking about uh, this particular film for a while. We've referenced it multiple times because of some of the themes. Um, it did come out on Blu-ray in 2008, but okay. it only recently, I want to say within the last six to eight months, uh, arrived on iTunes. Mm. So um, for those people who are wanting it on a streaming media, instead of having to go out and buy physical, that was a a good place to bring it up. Plus, it's a foreign film. We haven't done a lot of foreign films Mm -hmm. in this. And um, they do some interesting things in this that I think, you know, it also was up for, I think the year that it came out, it was up for like 46 different awards internationally. And it won like 21 of them. So it's really doing really well on the awards category side. Yeah. And um, there's also just my little... um, this is not necessarily a time travel movie, mm-hmm. but there's an element of time and playing with time in this movie that uh, we can discuss. So that's there's there's yeah. a lot of other reasons, but I think those are the main ones why I said, hey, let's just bring it up. Sure. Let's, let's talk about it. Rodrigo, when was the first time you watched Run, Lola, Run? Uh, the first time was probably in college. Um, so when this come out, 98, so probably like two years yeah. after it came out. Oh, okay. Oh, about three. you, Steven? 
Uh, I probably watched it in 2003, something like that, because I remember there was a maybe not so legal copy of it floating around <laughs> yeah. that landed on my computer somehow. Um, so I remember watching it then. I was just kind of blown away by it. And mm-hmm. then um, and then when it came out in the high def version, obviously I wanted to watch it right away because it's yeah. so awesome uh, to see it in mm-hmm. in that high that high quality. Yeah, and I just watched it for the first time. Uh, but I was familiar with the director's name mm-hmm. because back in, what would it be, like 2012-ish yeah. time, he teamed up with the Wachowskis and they uh, three-personed directed a movie that I really enjoyed and Steven, you really enjoyed it yeah. as well, uh, Cloud Atlas. Yeah, Cloud Atlas, yeah. And so that's how I was familiar with him. I haven't seen any of his work any other time and this is the only yeah. one thing I could really point to that anyone would really direct me towards yeah most of his stuff uh is all german mm-hmm. so unless it's unless it's um the cloud atlas or run lola run most american audiences probably have not seen him although he did i think he directed two episodes of uh since eight oh uh, yeah that series that is on netflix that makes sense. netflix yeah um so those would be the places most american audiences would have seen him okay so uh yeah so you want to Try to do uh, a quick recap of the yeah, story. Yeah, go ahead, Zach. Yeah, okay. I'll try. So, Run, Roll, and Run is about this girl named Ro- uh, uh, Lola. Lola, right. And she has her to run. boyfriend. Uh huh. What was his name? Milo? Milo, yeah. Milo. Manny. Manny. Oh, Manny. Oh, Manny. Yeah, Manny. Right. Um, it starts with a phone call between these two. Mm-hmm. Manny has screwed up some form of a drug transaction. He left a stack of. We'll call it $100,000 uh, on the subway, and a bum ended up walking off with it. Right. And now he is in deep, deep trouble because he has to meet this man in 20 minutes to give him $100,000, which he does not have, and he believes he is going to die. Lola believes that she can stop this from happening. She mm-hmm. can fix the problem. She can raise or find $100,000 yes. in 20 in minutes. 20 minutes. Uh, specifically before... Manny goes and tries to rob a grocery store to get all this money so he can pay this guy. Uh, that's about yeah, 20 minutes in the film. Then, of course. Yeah. Then we get Lola running through the streets, going to her father's bank, trying to get this money, fails, uh, runs to meet Manny, and wouldn't you know it, Lola dies crazy stuff happens and this when the film yeah. really gets uh, I mean I've glossed over a lot of stuff mm-hmm. but that's when the film really gets uh, interesting because mm-hmm. we jump back to the conversation and we essentially repeat the Lola running part mm-hmm. three times right or we, we see it three different times right three different outcomes three different middles uh, and that's run Lola run in the briefest a thousand foot overview that I can get into it without really starting getting the nitty gritty of this film. Okay. So where should we start on this thing? Because I walked in to Steven's house tonight and I said, man, that film is trippy. I loved it. And it is just, it is like everything a film could be. I I saw it and I said about within the first 15 minutes, I go, oh yeah, it totally makes sense that this guy would work with the Wachowskis because there's so mm-hmm. many similar similarities between. Like, this so what are some and, similarities that you see? Uh, the between, Matrix when it came in '99. What do you? What are some similarities that you see between the Matrix and Cloud Atlas and Sense Eight uh, that align with what the Wachowskis well, are doing the, and talking about? The the big thing that kind of uh, drew me into the 
line between the Matrix and Randall Run is first off, they're very visually oriented. Mm-hmm. There's uh, much of the story is told, or at least kind of played with. The visuals get played around with a lot. But between this and the Matrix, there's this video game weird aspect to it mm-hmm. where we kind of are in reality, but it's not reality. It's just warped. Right, right. Slightly, mm-hmm. and it gives it this just feel that I felt really. Those films complemented each other a lot. Okay, am I off base? You I'm, think I'm pretty close? No, to I this? mean this is you seeing what the what the alignments are. Yeah, I don't think you're off on it, Rodrigo. Uh, no, I also don't think he's uh, uh, off base. I think um, you know the the first thing I thought when I saw run Lola run was um, there's this video game called earthbound where you save your game by talking on the phone. Mm. So you have to find a phone to save mm-hmm. your game. And it's like, that's, you know, you can see that here where it's like, uh, you know, you have kind of this playthrough and well, now the main character is dead. So it's like, you got to go back to your safe spot and mm-hmm. then you kind of just go through and it's like, Oh, well now I failed the mission. <laughs> Right, right. So you have to do it a third time. Yeah, I kind of like that analogy of the video game and replaying it again. Mm-hmm. I guess I never, I did not play a lot of video games growing up. I still don't play a lot of video games like like the two of you do. Uh, so I never really made that comparison. But you're right. There is a save point. The mission fails, depending on which direction you're going. You're playing Grand Theft Auto or you're playing uh, uh, one of the ones where you choose your light path or dark path mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. And depending on which option you choose, the end is different. And in each case, or at least the first two runs, that Lola has. She dies in the first one because she's caught in the middle of a, of a robbery. In the second one, uh, how did she die in the second one? Was she well, run she over by the time? Manny, Manny dies. dies. Oh, Manny dies in the second one. And then you go back and you do it all over again until you get it. I, I come at it from a different, totally different um, view, not from a video game side, but from a, um, and it's a weird kind of, I don't want to say spiritual, but it's a, a weird kind of universal where the universe has decided to give you a second chance or the universe is allowing you to make mistakes again and again and again until you figure out your mistakes. It's mm-hmm. almost like reincarnation to an extent. And this is the point in Lola's life where you everything up to her life has been the same each time she has done a run. Mm-hmm. But the events of these last little bits of her life she's get a chance to get it right. She has these paths that she can choose. And depending on which path she chooses, she either gets it right or d- gets it wrong. The third run, obviously they both live and they get to progress on mm. forward from that. So that's kind of the, the weirder meaning that I take from it, from a more spiritual well, you know, side. I really think those two kind of work perfectly together because I mean, if you look at um, any, any video game is essentially, you could look at it as, if you're playing World One One of Mario and mm-hmm. you get hit by a little uh, Turtle, Koopa, yeah, Koopa shell. Two, yeah, you start back at the beginning and you learn. And you since we've been mm-hmm. reincarnated, and you get to learn from mm-hmm. your mistakes. And that was the weird thing for me um, with Run Lola Run is in the second when she dies and she comes back. Mm-hmm. I had this idea that it was a restart, right? And where small variations will ensue. But I really got tripped out when it seemed like she was learning. Yes. Because there is a sequ- there's the sequence the, about the gun. Yeah, the, the gun. In the mm-hmm. first one, her, uh, uh, Lola and Manny are robbing the store, and she doesn't know how to use a gun, and Manny tells her to click off the safety and how mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. She ends up dying. We get into another part. Uh, 
in the second go around with Lola where she has a gun pointed at her father at the bank and she like looks at the safety and clicks it off. Right. And then fires some shots. And so then my mind's like, well, this is not quite just a complete reset. There's some form of passing along information yeah. here. Yeah. Right. That's that. I mean the I think the the you also see that with the dog, right? Mm-hmm. In that weird animated section is like the third time she just like bypasses them entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like and the, I, the dog and the kid on the mm-hmm. stairs. Yeah, and that goes back into this kind of reincarnation thing where you're supposed to be remembering stuff and making better choices the next time around. Uh, I just finished reading a book like this week called Replay. It was written in 1986, but it's about a guy who dies and he bounces back to when he's 18 years old and he has to relive his life again, but he makes different choices and then he dies again and he makes different choices. But each time he remembers everything that happened, Mm -hmm. every little detail about all of his past lives. So he knows that if he does this, this is going to happen. If he does this, this will happen. And you just see, and this is a very simplistic version of the story because it has a very, almost a run Lola run type ending where he gets to this point where he dies each time in all of the, and in the book, it covers like eight different versions of his life. Um, When he hits that eighth point, something happens and it's very much like what we see in run to Lola run where this accumulation of all knowledge allows him to come to some kind of an enlightenment or a a chance to move forward from that point. Mm -hmm. So it's um, yeah. uh, Going back and and reexamining run Lola run really, there's a lot of parallels with that replay book uh, that came out in 1986. So Mm -hmm. it's uh, very, very fascinating from that trippy standpoint. And have you seen Zach, have you seen um, uh, Donnie tomorrow? No, not oh. Edge Tomorrow. I was thinking Donnie Darko. Uh, I haven't seen either of those. Oh, man. Maybe that's what we should watch next week is Donnie Darko. Um, but because um, <laughs> Donnie Darko will trip your lid. All right. Um, but it also deals with different thoughts on reality and spiritualism and how those things are supposed to make you a better person and having a redo or a reset or going back to your save point and doing something different. Mm. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I really like this film on that standpoint because if you break it down, this film is a very simplistic concept of a race against a clock Mm -hmm. to save someone. But then the way that that gets manipulated with and, and just kind of twisted around makes it something entirely different. And and then, like, I feel if this was done by just like your average action director, that would ju- it would be like, oh, you have you have ninety minutes to mm-hmm, get here because mm-hmm. this is the length of the film. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, it's just wild chases throughout the city, which this essentially is. I mean, if you probably break it down, this film is under ninety minutes long. Right. And maybe yeah. a third of it is just shots of Lola running through the streets. Yeah. Um, which is just amazing because you take that and but even that adds so much to the story and it just keeps going. And Like, I don't get bored with it at all, mainly because it's so short and so action-packed, but mm-hmm. it makes you think the entire time, which you would assume a, a film like this might not. Yeah. I mean, really, Run, Lola, Run is a great example of you know, I mean, I'm not saying that this is necessarily saying, but you kind of say to yourself, how short can this movie be? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. 
how compact can a movie actually be and and run lola run is actually extremely compact because it actually just plays the same you know 20 minute movie three times Mm -hmm. but the other cool thing is the fact that um it's not always the exact same stuff every time so like if she if she's running across a courtyard you know in uh in the first run they show like three different shots of her running across that courtyard then on the second run She's running across that courtyard and they're showing three different angles of Mm -hmm. that courtyard. And then on the third run, again, three different angles or whatever, how many different angles that they have of her running across the courtyard of her apartment. Mm -hmm. As an actress, holy crap, this girl has got to be in shape because, uh, yeah, yeah, you are running full speed across that courtyard, you know, 10 different times. And granted, you're doing different setups, but you have time to rest. But for the most part of this movie, she is doing nothing but running and jumping. And, you know, if this were a more modern time, she would be doing all sorts of uh, uh, wall jumping. And what is that (laughs) called? Yeah, flipty do. No, what is that? Parkour. uh, Parkour. (laughs) She'd be doing parkour throughout this movie. So I got to give her a lot of credit just in the physical shape she has to be in for some of these. Because they in some of these shots, they are very long shots of her just running, sprinting full out Mm -hmm. for like five blocks yeah yeah well yeah, we were watching and i was watching with aubrey and she just goes i am just tired of watching her at mm-hmm. first i thought she said i'm tired of watching her but then she's like no i am like i'm exhausted watching i like feel short of breath just watching her sprint through all of this town yeah it's crazy you know there's another theme or aspect of this that we haven't touched on that you guys might want to weigh in on and this is the flash forward bits where each in each of her right. runs, she will encounter a person, the person with the baby carriage, the the old woman, the blind woman, these kinds of things. And we get these flash forwards of this is what happens to their lives after this point of contact. Uh, can you talk about that and how lives interacting can split off into a million different alternate universes mm-hmm. or alternate takes on, on what happens with these characters? Yeah, it's I mean, that's another one of these things that's very quick in this movie but plays into the larger i don't know thesis if you will of the film in that there are these i don't know five different characters you see throughout run lola run that are on the screen for i don't know five seconds at a Mm -hmm, time mm -hmm. and they just briefly encounter lola and then we get this very interesting film technique of uh, i can't remember what it says if it is it and then yeah. It is in German, but they subtitled the first time it says, and then, and it does like the snapshots of the person she just interacted with for a brief moment of their future. Mm-hmm. And it kind of says, well, it she bumped her and now this is the way her life goes. Right. Or the second time she like barely misses her and this is the way it happens or she just misses her completely and this is the way it happens. And they're different each time for each different character. Mm-hmm. And it, it, is a very interesting thing because you talked about the splitting uh, paths of reality and, right. you know, each moment creates a different mm-hmm. form of a universe. And it definitely plays back into the overarching theme of Lola, like resetting and redoing mm-hmm. and how it just branches off from, and everyone involved branches off from that also. And the more you think about it, the weirder it gets because it does make you reflect on, you know, what is this minor contact I had with this person and how is mm-hmm. that interaction affecting their life down the road? And it does to a point when you're watching this, at least for me, I'm thinking about, oh, how are my interactions right now that I do right now? How is that going to have a positive or negative impact on someone else that I've just had a brief encounter with? 
Does it matter that if someone's driving slow that I ride behind them honking their horn? I mean, that has an impact on it. Um, or if someone decides to whip around me in traffic, is that because it's a front against me or something else? You know, it, it makes you think about what are these interactions having in a greater scheme of things. And if we take that approach of always do good, mm-hmm. then perhaps outcomes down the road for a lot more people would be better. As opposed to some of the, I think there's one that's like a horrible thing that happens to a couple of these people. Isn't there a sequence where we flash forward and one of them is killed in in one of the sequences? I think it's in the, in oh, the yeah. first run. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, wow, okay, that one minor interaction could have a drastic consequence for someone down the road. So I, that's the other thing that I thought a lot about is these things that we just take as a quick passing moment has a huge drastic impact in someone else's life or in the case of. You know, we're following Lola, but what if we're what if we're actually seeing this life from someone else's point of view, uh, like the old woman, uh, and she's resetting her life so that she can be in the right place at the right time to help Lola out when she needs it. So there's those kinds of things that you can mm-hmm. think about as well. Rodrigo, do you have a take on these little flash forward moments? I mean, I think it's interesting that. Um you know, basically, you have uh, run like the Lola's story, which you're kind of doing this kind of like high speed techno Groundhog's Day, and it still takes mm-hmm. a moment to kind of fire shots into the air and give us, you know, the butterfly effect years before it actually came out. Right, right. It's like um, somebody just somebody just made a whole movie just around the Polaroid moments and mm-hmm. Lola. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, speaking of like the splintering paths when we reset for the first time and actually the second time as well it goes into this scene in the past between lola and manny uh in bed and they're kind of bathed in this red light Mm -hmm. they're having they're Mm -hmm. asking of these kind of deep questions that reveal uh aspects to their characters that we would never get really for the rest of the film so these kind of brief pauses in the film where you can kind of breathe but then there's this character tension that you're not yeah. finding anywhere else. Right. That happened for the first time. I thought we might jump over to Manny's point of view mm. or they would kind of just mess with it. And then when mm-hmm. I, I really figured out what they were doing, I knew that wasn't going to happen, but I thought maybe we we're going to jump that and see how, what Manny was doing could be influencing the entire run of Lola or essentially the outcome in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm happy they stayed with Lola because obviously the film uh, it's kind of predicated on that. Right. But I thought, I mean, you could, I mean, you could essentially make Manny's thing three times. And what's he doing differently? Mm-hmm. Potentially that we don't see in this film mm-hmm. that's influencing the entire story as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, that's one thing that they could have done. Yeah. What was the, what was the meaning that you took away from the scene though? What did you see that it's like, Oh, here's the point of this part. Uh, between the two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I think they talk about it. She's yeah. talking, I, I, if I remember, and again, it's been several months since I've seen the movie. But if I'm not mistaken, they're sitting there having a conversation about how she would do anything to be with him. And um, if he died or something happened to him, it would be. Well, um, was really, both of the conversations are actually like, they're kind of like cutely immature. Because mm-hmm. like, um, Manny is like, what would you do if I died? And she's like, well, you know, I'd be sad and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, eventually you'd like, you'd forget about me and then you'd marry mm-hmm. someone else. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. he's like, um, 
And uh, on the other side, it's like her conversation. I forget exactly how it goes, but it's kind of something similar. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, where she's like asking him something and she wants to get a specific answer. And he's just like, I don't I don't know what you want me to say. Yeah, uh, yeah I think they were talking of the in Lola's. They were specifically talking about like their relationship and if he wanted yeah. to be with her and then like and each one is oh, yeah. one gets very pouty with the other one the other one's like oh well, right, you don't really right. care about me right 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 well so then that brings up that question then if lola you know if manny is like oh you'll forget about me and all this stuff and she's like no i'd be sad i'd you know i'd it would be horrible for my life that kind of reinforces her desire to go back and reset and try to be with him again and again and again the question is, do you think Manny would do the same thing? Do you think he'd go back to his save point and do the same thing to save Lola? Uh, what do you think, Rodrigo? Oh, I think he would. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Manny, this is Lola's story. So we don't get, even though we do get a, uh, some conversations with Manny, we don't get a lot of development out of him and you know he is as much a difficulty for lola as everything else he you know really blames lola and it might be because he's freaking out but he blames lola for the whole thing because she didn't pick him up in time um which is stupid because he totally made a bunch of mistakes also Mm -hmm. in the process right Mm -hmm. but sure um so i think he would have but uh, maybe Manny was not quite there uh, emotionally right. to actually make the trip. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think Manny showed himself in those moments that he did care for a little. It's hard to kind of pick up on his feelings throughout the rest of the film because he's just worried about this drug guy not killing mm-hmm. him, essentially. Well, he's very focused on yeah. himself. He, I mean, he is a very self-centered character to the point where when they had that conversation, the, the other conversation where he's just being jealous and petty about stuff, you can tell that Lola cares more from him than he cares about her. Oh, you how think I, so? I, I really think really? so. I mean, he is really, I mean, she is doing everything for him. Uh, each and every time. And though he does uh, come to understand what's going on, he is just really treats her really poorly. I think throughout the whole film, mm. I really wish I could remember that first bed conversation. Cause I felt like it was, he had more emotions for her in that moment. Well, that, and that the first one, she's like, well, how do you feel about our relationships? Like, do you love me kind of questions. And he's like very noncommittal. He's like, sure. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I tell you I love you. And then he's like, and I like that. I was like, that's great. You know, kind of stuff is like, I love you. I know kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? yes, yes, yes. Which from the text of it, it's, it's very likely that you're like, you know, it's like, oh, well, she's very willing to tell him that she loves him. He's not. But, you know, obviously, I, I think there's strong subtext for him just being, you know, a dude and having trouble expressing oh, sure. that mm-hmm. um, because um, he is like <laughs> supremely worried about, you know, her like forgetting about him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. again, it's like a very like 
stupid boy concern to have. It's like, well, what's going to happen after I die? It's like, well, what, do you want her to just grieve for you for the rest of her life? That's stupid. Yeah. But also, it's like, well, this is the person that I care about the most. It's like, if she forgets me, then who's going to remember me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think that's the, this conversation, even with, with the two characters who speak for maybe like 15 minutes in the oh, entire yeah. film, yeah. is kind of a testament to what this film is capable of in such a quick amount of time with so little dialogue. Mm-hmm. That it can spark so much conversation about two characters' commitment to each other uh, that sure. plays out in such interesting ways throughout the film. Yeah, or maybe I'm, you know, maybe I could be reading this totally wrong, and they truly are so much in love with each other that we don't have to spend a lot of time discussing stuff because more of the interactions that Lola has are with her father and dealings with her father and her mother mm-hmm. and what's become of her life or what she's doing with her life because of their expectations for her. Yeah, the family dynamic in this is really interesting because unlike, well, I guess in in the action sequences, that relationship plays out more than Lola's and Manny's mm-hmm. because... Um, you're introduced to her mother very quick, quickly in the piece when she runs down, you kind of do this circle around her on the phone talking to someone. Um, but then Lola is running to her dad, who is the head of a bank so she can get all this money. Right. And through that, you find that her dad is having an affair with one of his board of directors and they have... Uh, uh, a child coming on the way. Mm-hmm. Well, she is a child. He might be involved. Uh, and you kind of see this family dynamic play out, which is so interesting because that builds throughout the course because you find out that her dad's having an affair, but then done the second time through, for at, le- yeah. at least for me anyways, you kind of figure out that Lola's mom's having an affair as mm-hmm. well, even if she mm-hmm. has like four lines of dialogue right. that are just sure, throwaway. Sure. Like, oh, so this family is really oh, dysfunctional. quite dysfunctional. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. well and, and, and he, he, at least he believes that, he's, that she's not his actual daughter. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is, and then throws this whole other oh, yeah. wrench right. into it. It's yeah, just yeah. so interesting. Yeah. Um, is that... Uh, I'm trying to think of, is that all that kind of happens with their family? I mean, it gets, I mean, she robs a bank, oh, right? Yeah. You know, she's doing all this stuff. I mean, she's essentially robs the bank. Oh, well, yeah, um, she definitely robs the bank. But, um. Yeah, the it, best part, like the best, I think probably the best part of this movie is when she walks out of the bank. Yes. And like all the cops are like pointing at her and they're all like, move, 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 yeah, move out of like, the way. Get lady. out of the way. There's bank robbers in there. Yeah. yeah that's uh, profiling before profiling became a, a big term. Well, yeah, I just, am like, Oh, she's about ready to die again. And yeah, they're like, yeah. no, get out of there. What the heck is happening? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, that was really good. Well, I also thought it was great. It was like, they didn't have enough money when she's robbing the bank. She's like, oh, I have to go to the basement to get more money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like the literally the fastest elevator in the world. It's like, quick shot, quick shot, done. Yeah. Oh, I have 12 more thousand dollars. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because I assumed that maybe they were playing kind of loose with the time structure. But then when you get done with it, you realize, no, it's pretty much, it's pretty much 20 minutes yeah. in each section. Yep. Right. Uh, which, again, you don't necessarily expect 
expect because uh, I mean they're already manipulating time in this weird way right. that they could have you know really done it so like oh it took her 15 times to get through it and mm-hmm. we just see little glimpses of mm-hmm. a little bit she dies come mm-hmm. back a little bit dies come back yeah and, and, and who's to, to say it, like, and who's quick. to say that we're that she's only made this run three times oh sure right maybe we're seeing the three most fascinating versions of that time <laughs> and maybe uh with the gambling thing maybe she's gambled 15 different times in 15 different runs uh before she realized what the outcome should be and how much she should bet and everything mm-hmm. for that part of the the story so yeah it's it's very fascinating i think um i don't know if you have to be familiar with causality or metaphysics or anything like that but i certainly think that if you have an understanding of that this movie makes a lot more sense or is maybe a lot more enjoyable to be thinking about it on the, those levels mm-hmm. um you know you but can from really a, oh go, go ahead. ahead i'm sorry i was gonna say but from a, just a pure entertainment standpoint this is a very fast-paced action movie on a low budget and you can appreciate it just for that if you want to what were you going to say Rodrigo? yeah i mean uh there are lots of ways lots of ways to read run lola run you can read it as time travel you can read it as alternate dimensions you can read it as all that stuff doesn't matter why is she a cartoon now Um, like there's there's lots of things that you can bring into run lola run because it doesn't explain anything. No, it doesn't. It definitely doesn't explain any of the metaphysics of anything that's going on. So you can just, you know, guess wildly at it. And it's going to be pretty uh, pretty good about accepting your wild theories, you know, mm-hmm. at least up to a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, the only way the film kind of tips its hand about what it is, is those two quotes at the beginning of kind of about like game theory. Mm-hmm. And then in the beginning, when you're just thinking about all these people and the guy talks about some line about how it's soccer and there's two teams and it's 90 minutes and go essentially. Right. I just remember he, he always, I mean, I remember him saying 90 minutes, which I thought was interesting. It's because that's pretty much the length of the film. Yeah. So the quote is, let me see if I can find it here. Um, the ball is round. The game lasts 90 minutes. Everything else is pure theory. And after the game is before the game is the quote that are, that are used from uh, right. German football legend, Sepp Herberger. So there you go, which he's not, I mean, in, in that sense, if you think about what he's saying is here's the world that we're playing in. It's a ball. You know, it's this pitch. The ball is round. We're playing a game. It lasts 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. Everything that happens during that game is theory. We do this. We do that. This should happen. That should happen. That's where the causality comes in. And then if you want to get on the metaphysical level about where that statement is after the game is before the game, meaning we've just finished a game. That's not the end of the game Mm -hmm. or life because there's another game coming up that's that we're preparing for or that this game is preparing us for the next game Mm -hmm. so you could look at it from that Mm -hmm. from that uh, yeah that standpoint probably my one complaint about run lola run is that it kind of has three intros Mm -hmm. then again it does go through the movie three times so maybe that makes sense um Uh, basically you have like the like flying into a clock then the actual like cartoon intro or and or then the guy like people milling around and the guy talking about soccer and then like the actual like cartoon and credits intro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, the one thing I want to talk story wise, cause it's just so weird to me before we kind of get into the weird production stuff they did. Okay. Is that, uh, is Lola a mutant? 
What's with the screaming? <laughs> it comes out of nowhere, and she does it a couple times, and she's just shattering glass. She just decides she wants to so, scream very loud and destroy some glass. So, uh, especially, I think, in the 90s and 2000s, we get into a lot of movies where the movie is basically happening. Things are actually happening, and they're actually interacting with people. Um, but you could definitely argue that the movie is happening inside the character's head. You are seeing, even though you're still at a third-person perspective, you're still kind of seeing things the way they perceive them, mm-hmm. right? You know, Fight Club is a huge example of that. Um, whereas if you weren't perceiving stuff from a particular player's or a particular uh, character's point of view, you would clearly, obviously see the big twist, right? right. You know, the usual suspects to a certain degree as well. Um, you could uh, argue that about Scott Pilgrim and things like that, which I think are hugely influenced by this sort of thing. But um, I think that, you know, the cartoon moments, the moments where she screams, even you might argue this kind of like repetition through time is the way we are meant to see the way that Lola feels. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to your, uh, this is a game analogy. Mm -hmm. When you're playing a game and things are getting really tight and tense, what do you do? Probably when, curse. Yeah, you're screaming, right? Because yeah. my son and I both do this. We're playing a moment where it's like, you know, the the two characters are getting to a point where you have to make this jump, or you're not gonna, t- you're gonna have to go back, right? And yeah. You're sitting there going, Mah! so the scream becomes this cathartic way of trying to control the situation mm-hmm. as best as you can, and maybe that's what Lola is doing here. Is she is using her scream to try and control the situation try to bend that reality to the way she wants it maybe this is nothing but a but a video game i mean there's a lot of moments in the film where we as the audience are the film breaks its own fourth wall not by the character you know turning to the audience and looking but by the camera doing something that that breaks the wall the the running down the staircase bit with Mm -hmm. the with the animation is a perfect example of that maybe we're watching a video game Maybe that's all we're watching in, in this point is someone playing a video game. Sure. Yeah. Well, I that's, mean, yeah. Go ahead. Where you go? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, what I was getting at is that, you know, the scream is so loud and, and shatters everything because that's how it feels in Lola's head. Right. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can definitely uh, I, I mean, I think we are basically riding shotgun with her or running shotgun with her, I guess. Mm hmm. Um, <laughs> this whole time so we are the the movie bends and twists itself so that we kind of feel the way that she feels and like the universe itself kind of responds to it mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's what gets confusing about this movie is you're trying to place it in reality because there is so much of it that feels oh, sure. natural running right. through the streets mm-hmm. fighting with your your family, you know, trying to save someone. It feels like it's in this natural setting, but then you do get a TV who is, which is showing Lola running down a staircase in an animated thing that mm-hmm. we like essentially dive into, mm-hmm. which is odd. Mm-hmm. And then you have Lola mm-hmm. screaming so loud that she just bursts Alters all reality. glass. Yeah, right. she just breaks things. And I mean, it's just those things that pull it out of reality for a moment and place it somewhere else so you can't figure out where in time space whatever this film is actually taking place in and so bring this back around to your Wachowski uh, comment that you made 
at the beginning yeah. is that that is why I think this movie is so fascinating because you can sit and just watch this movie from a weird this is a weird action movie. This mm-hmm. is this is this is not Keanu Reeves uh, action movies or die hard movies that I want to see. This is this is something different than that, but it's kind of cool. Or you can start to begin to analyze it like you do with The Matrix or as you do with Cloud Atlas. And you really can start to peel away. I mean, there's so many different layers that you can peel away to analyze and critique and do all these things. All these things that you guys have talked about, you know, the the metaphysics, the causality, the video game stuff. If you just do a search on Run Lola Run as a video game, there are um, papers written on the topic sure, about sure. this is nothing more than a video game. There's stuff that talks about what her scream is. There's stuff out there that talks about the metaphysics and how that ties back into the Wachowski's um, reality uh, comments that we see in, in the matrix. So from a philosophical point of view, there's a lot of different ways to examine this. And that's why I think it's fun to watch a movie like this because it does make you stop and think. And I think that's what really good film does is Mm -hmm. it's supposed to make you question something. Um, Unlike movies like the Revenant where it's man against nature and it's just, we're watching this. And though there are very tense moments and people aren't moving or blinking during the entire movie, like we talked a while ago, it is what it is. It's a narrative mm-hmm. story from beginning to end. And there are some exciting moments, but there's not really, there aren't thinking moments beyond what we see on the screen. Run Lola run has thinking moments that take you beyond what you see on the screen. So that's why yeah. I enjoy this movie quite a bit. Absolutely. And another, I mean, the animated thing is pretty quick in the film and kind of, if the intros did not set you up for enough for it or, the incredibly, man, I don't even know how to describe it. When they're cutting to her into her room, it's like really quick, staggered cuts up to it or like quick, mm-hmm. staggered cuts through the street up into Manny mm-hmm. talking on uh, the telephone booth. So that kind of stylistic thing, you get thrown into the animation really quick, which is a recurring thing throughout. Um, but something else in the production-wise that they did that threw me off, and I honestly have no idea how to read this, so I need your help is there was a couple of reoccurring characters that Lola would run into. Specifically, I remember the man in the car who hits Lola a couple times. Mm -hmm. In that section of the film, it looked to my eye that they filmed it on a VCR camera and then threw it in the movie because it's such a different look than the film they were shooting on. When they're inside... And when they're like in her dad's office, the oh, yes. look changes drastically. Yeah, it does. And I think it could be basically what it is, is they were shooting it on different film stock. I'm Probably. pretty sure. I mean, the, um, the budget for this film was $1.75 million. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, yeah. that's a pretty small budget. I mean, it's not micro so, budget, but it's a, it's a super indie budget. Now, uh, this could have been intentional to give it a different feel when it's like when um, the scene between her dad and his lover um, inside looks a lot more like a soap opera kind of drama, like the lighting and even the grain is what you see in like old kind of dramas. And it's like, and that could be purposeful to evoke that, or it could be, that even those dramas and this section of it, that's just the film that you shoot with indoors and that's mm-hmm. what it looks like, mm-hmm. you know? So I think there were sections which maybe on purpose or maybe because that's what you have to do, do look 
like they're being shot in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might have been the budget. Did you did you do any research on production or cinematography on, on this film? Zach? I tried to do a lot of research on this. But then I, I would type in like run a little production or analysis or something. I just kept getting dumped like a bunch of college papers. That right, were right, right. The movie. Right. Yeah. That, that is kind of a and that's the one thing that kind of frustrates me a lot because um, I want to know the hows and whys, the technical and the reasons behind those mm-hmm. technical things. So like if I go and do a, a search for, you know, like uh, the, the Netflix Daredevil series and I want to find out what was the production of that eight minute or that, you know, that Mm -hmm. one supposed one shot fight sequence. How did they do it? Why did they decide to do it that way? And sure, you can find articles on sites like Major Spoilers where you talk about, oh, look how cool this sequence was and why it worked that way. And maybe you'll find a quote from the director or the cinematographer, but you don't find, here's the product, you don't find the behind the scenes stuff. You don't find the theory or the reasoning why until you go to um, journals like um, the um, American Cinematographer or American, what's the American film... uh, Institute? No, I forget what, not AFI. Uh, But you can get those now on, um, in digital format. Yeah. Um, And I always find it fascinating because most of my searches usually take me back there because they're the only ones that are chronicling, Mm -hmm. you know, these things. Uh, I'm looking at Cinefix and American Cinematographer or American Society of Cinematographers magazine. That's American Cinematographer. So those two tend to cover the most stuff. Yeah. When it comes to the film production, the actual well, we decided to use this film stock because this, this, and this. I mean, that's where you would find those answers. But short of contacting the creators yeah. themselves, you're not going to, mm-hmm. you're not going to find it on just some basic web search. I think the only thing I really found about production is I can't remember it was this kind of uh, site that just talked about filming locations for different movies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it pretty much just boiled down to like, oh yeah, it's a really good film. He kind of played fast and loose with uh, the settings. Uh, I can't remember they filmed Berlin. In Germany. It, yeah, I can't remember what city it was. It's like, they all filmed in a city, but there's no way she could have ran between these locations. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Essentially, yeah, like, yeah. they were just sure, jumping sure. all over the scene. I'm like, well, of course they were. Like, that yeah. makes total sense. And no, like, not many people, who, especially, like, no one in America watching these films is ever going to really know. They're like, oh, they're jumping around all over the city. Yeah. Well, and, you know, people, I'm sure people in Germany who aren't familiar yeah. with the city. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's really all I found, which, um, again, because there's so many questions i have like why then like just like why do those scenes look so different is just all i want to know about this well here's your task then zach reach out to the cinematographer see if you can oh yeah see if you can reach out to the cinematographer Uh, and i'm sure the person's probably his people i'm sure a come on now i'm sure that uh you can find who's this a cinematography frank greeby or greeby g-r-i-e-b-e born in hamburg um where's he residing now the most recent thing that he did was Cloud Atlas. So I'm sure he's out on social media somewhere. I'll find him. I'm going to track this guy down. And I bet you could ask him. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, this is from... Oh, this is One Perfect Shot. Sorry. Um, I thought I found a link to his Twitter. But they're just <laughs> saying, oh, here's One Perfect Shot of Run, Lola, Run. Because if, if you're doing a search on just... His name and Twitter, uh, you get an American Cinematographer Magazine link, and then you get um, the One Perfect Shot stuff. Yeah. But I bet you could probably track him down and uh, and ask him that question directly. I'm I'm seriously going to do it. it I'm do going it. to. I'm going to. Um, is there anything 
in this that we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about, Rodrigo? I'm looking over my notes that I have. Um, I don't know. I think we covered most of it other than, you know, I mean, this movie or this style uh, became very influential. Um, you know, you can see it. Uh, and again, I'm not saying necessarily that this is where it comes from, but you can see it in um, what's the Shaun of the Dead guy? Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, you know, that kind of like swish pan kind of uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's just like this. This is one of those movies that kind of did a lot of cool little things and individually each of these effects each of these ideas like just like the phone just like slowly flying up and then mm-hmm. coming back down mm-hmm. swish pan is like you just see it in so many things right it's like you know like a train spotting kind of situation or whatever although all those movies were coming out around the same time sure is it i was watching this and obviously they're speaking in german the entire time but i feel like if i would have turned off subtitles turned off and like muted the sound oh sure I for some reason it just I've watched so many American made American produced movies that if I watch something from a different country you can just tell like there's just a way a story structure or shooting or just flow of the film that it just kind of feels like it did not come from America is oh sure sure, sure. did you get that sense from this or did you get that sense when you just watch things in general that you could turn off the the subtitles and still understand everything that's well, going not, on well not you understand but you no, can just no, get no. the sense means, that this was not made in like, america oh you mean yeah okay that you can tell that it's not an american movie i, I think yeah i think absolutely you can um you can uh, you know if you watch enough movies you can see what you can guess probably pretty accurately what year something was made in, even if mm-hmm. it is an american movie mm-hmm. right it's like if between this cut and this cut like it's a sharp cut and there's no like um kind of like in between uh sound transition or anything like that you can be like okay well that was probably somewhere between the 60s and 70s right you know you like you can just figure all that stuff out so yeah absolutely that stylistic stuff once you start noticing it or the absence of that stuff you can absolutely guess whether something was made uh in the United States or not i mean i've been watching a lot of uh, or a fair amount of anime lately and there's just stuff in it and obviously i know that those that it was made in japan but there's just all of these like interesting like stock characters that keep popping up which do not exist in the united states in any mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. you know and it's like yeah you can absolutely tell if you didn't have other like 50 other ways of telling that this right. was made in japan you'd yeah. be able to tell because those weird characters that don't exist in the United States pop up all of a sudden. And the same is true. If you're watching, um, a lot of Chinese historical movies, uh, you can tell which dynasties the government isn't in support of and which ones they're (laughs) not in support of, uh, Uh, just by, if you watch them long enough, you go, okay, well, here's a dynasty that the Chinese government is definitely not in favor of because they're painted as the worst people in the world. And here's a dynasty that they're trying to, uh, lift up because they're, look how great and benevolent the emperor is during this time. So you mm-hmm. do see that same thing. What the challenge then is, Zach, is as a filmmaker, is to see what makes this movie feel like a Japanese anime. What are these yeah. themes that are used consistently? 
And how can I use that in my stuff? Because that's something that American audiences are not familiar with. So therefore, for them, that makes it unique or different from the stock fair that they're always seeing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and and so much of, um, you know, those like innovators that we see in American cinema, they were just like, hey, that Japanese guy's doing something I like. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at, look at Quentin Tarantino. He oh, freely yeah. admits he's like, hey, I steal from this guy, this guy, this guy and this guy. And none of them are American. Uh you know, directors or, mm. or filmmakers. So he freely admits that, yeah, I'm stealing ideas from these other people, or in some cases, stealing full stories from other <laughs> people. But um, uh, Star Wars is another prime example, because if you go and look and see what George Lucas was totally interested in, Star Wars is highly influenced by the samurai movies that he saw in the 1950s and 60s. Uh, totally. Um, the Akira Kurosawa uh, films. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can bring that stuff to American audiences in an American film and they won't know that they're being exposed to culture and themes from somewhere else. But if you brought in a foreign language film like Run, Lola, Run, people are like, ah, oh, it's a foreign film subtitle. Right. I'm not going to go see that crap. Mm-hmm. But you I bet if you look Cloud Atlas, probably to an extent. But if you go and look, you'll find other movies that are similar to Run, Lola, Run from smaller independent artists and you'll see a lot of similarities between what they've taken from that and put in to their own stuff and it's gotten praise or it's popped up on the radar because of that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one thing uh, you use the, 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 the phrase um, um, good artists borrow great artists steal or whatever yeah, the phrase yeah. is. Uh, they're really talking about what are the themes, the ideas, the stuff that you can take away from these other artists and apply to your own work. Mm. So there you go. Yeah, and I know um, a film I watched a couple of weeks ago uh, is called Victoria, and from everything I heard, it was influenced a lot by Run, Little Run. It's, a, it's another German-made film uh, with a female protagonist who, uh, as you would guess, has to run through a town after she meets all these guys. And it's very interesting. Uh, I would definitely recommend people go watch it. It's over on iTunes. I think you can actually rent it for 99 cents this week. I can't remember. I know it had some special going on. Really? Well, I'll have to um, grab that. And kind of like this, it plays interesting with the production side where it's uh, much longer than this film. It's a little over two hours. And it is a one-take film. And I say that because I watched knowing going in that it was one-take and was I think I got sucked into it a lot, but trying to figure out where the edits were in this film. Yeah. And I have to go back and watch it again because when you watch like breakdowns of Birdman and um, even in The Revenant, like in The Revenant, they have a lot of long takes, mm-hmm. but you can definitely see where the digital edits are in the film. Right. And in Birdman, if you watch behind the scenes stuff, you can they show you essentially how they were cutting the film together to make it look like one. And I was watching Victoria looking for these things and either I just completely blinked my eyes in the wrong spot, but it definitely feels like a one shot two hour film, Cool, uh, which is wow. amazing. So everyone should definitely go check that out because it's influenced uh, from what people say. And I could definitely see influences from it now. Should we watch um, this and talk about it next week? Would you like to, or would you like to talk about Donnie Darko? We can, we've still got time before Batman Superman. So yeah, we've got time to do Donnie Darko and this one. So. Let's watch Victoria. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to see what happens with that. Well, all right. I'm excited. I got to watch it again then. This is what happens when you, what, what happens when you meet Berliners outside of a nightclub. That's yeah. what Victoria's Yeah, about. yeah. It's, uh, it's a ride, man. It's uh, intense like this, but for a lot longer period of time. Yeah. What's, uh, did you look on Rotten Tomatoes? What's uh, Lo- Run, Lola, Run? 
oh god like 96 or something really yeah it's wow. super high yeah do you think rotten tomatoes is um still a legitimate source for where the movie sits as far as public and critical reactions like do i think it's a good barometer yeah, yeah. I or think, is it just a yeah. like imdb where it's almost not trustworthy anymore i think rotten tomato um i think rotten tomato is good if your thoughts on films generally line up with paid film critics mm. from like mm-hmm. big publications like mm-hmm. if you kind of line up with that then it's pretty good i i i think it's better for modern films that are releasing right now because even like Run the Run has a really high rating, but I think it only has like seventy or some reviews. When a, a movie that releases now would have like right over a hundred. Well, and the other thing, yeah, that's so that's thing kind of a the, here's the for it. Yeah, go ahead. Movies right, right. that predate the advent of Rotten Tomatoes and a lot of other uh, kind of Metacritic type things like that um, tend to have kind of I feel kind of warped scores because either they're going back. Yes, that's the problem with it. They're either going back and getting reviews from when the movie came out, which means they're going to be very few reviews, or they're doing they're finding reviews that people are doing now, That's and people tend to be yeah. very like um basically you probably won't do a review of Run Lola Run and say this movie was garbage. Right. Yeah. You're right. not you're not gonna take the time to write about an old movie if you didn't like it. Yeah. And that's, that's what I think is the biggest problem, especially when you're looking at older movies is that a lot of times if you look at their, um, their ratings and who's reviewing it, it's like, oh, this was done. This is a movie from 1990, um, 1999 or 98 or whenever it was. And it's being reviewed in 2010. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. So that's, that's, I guess my problem is if people are only looking at the score, you need to dig a little deeper into that to find out, you know, where are these reviews coming from? Right. I mean, like Rodrigo said, people probably did a new review of run on the run when it came out on blu-ray or something like that but mm-hmm. like you said no one's gonna go back like oh i bought this movie on blu-ray and let me tell and you so about it's, gonna it be, it's gonna be skewed yeah because it's become a cult uh has a cult yeah. following yeah. and suddenly all those people are writing the reviews about it so yeah i mean it's kind of like if you like i'll go on films and read roger ebert's reviews of him mm-hmm. and you never sure. see him he'll do second reviews of films and it's usually because he, in time, thought it was a way better film than he initially did. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen one yet. And he's like, I thought this movie was great. 15 years later, I thought it was garbage. Yeah, yeah. And so I've never seen him go back and like lower star yeah. ratings for films. What's another movie you've seen recently that you got to kick recently? out of? Yeah. Oh, gosh. What is the film? It's like Meadow Lane or... Um, Cloverfield? No, no, no. Madeline? No. It's, Madeline? No, it just came out and it has... Um, Oh, Olivia Wilde in it. And it's about her and her husband, who's another actor that I can't remember. And um, they lose their son, and it's them dealing with it. I actually watched that the same day I watched Victoria, and that film is... uh, Yes, I think I started to watch a part of this movie. Meadowland. Yeah, Meadowland. Yeah, I want to say I saw part of that movie somewhere. Okay, is it good, though? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was good. Rodrigo, what about you? Seen anything good lately? Um, seen anything good? Where did I see? Or bad? Yeah, Maybe saw... you saw something bad. You want to tell people to stay away from? <laughs> um, I saw I saw the Muppets take Manhattan again. That's great. 
we uh, uh, we've been doing family night. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so this week we watched The Good Dinosaur, which is out now. Oh uh, yeah. And it's not a horrible movie. Um, it from a uh, storytelling standpoint, it's a it's a dog and his boy movie. Yeah. Which uh-huh. is, I mean, right on target for what this movie is. And it's got it's got some adventure and it's got some sappy moments and it's got some sad moments. I mean, the four year old broke down and cried at the end. Oh no! It was kind of funny because the oldest who has cried at movies, he cried during um, uh, Big Hero Six mm-hmm. in the theater, and I was like, "It's okay if you want to cry," because <laughs> I'm crying too. He's like, "Ha ha, Thomas is crying." And I was like, "Hey, that's okay." And Thomas was super embarrassed that he got got sad Aww. about it. But there's some sad moments in it. But here's the weird thing about Good Dinosaur. That astounds me is the environment is the drug trip scene. No. Oh, yeah. The drug trip scene. Well, that's just because <laughs> you're eating fermented fruit, um, which is, is incredibly hysterical. Uh, but the environment is rendered photorealistic. I mean, there are times where I'm watching this going, I'm pretty sure they're just doing a flyover of the Grand Canyon and they're superimposing these, you know, they're compositing mm-hmm. these animated mm-hmm. things on top of it. It's not because they have a head of uh, cloud rendering simulation. To make these clouds look super like you're looking at a painted cloud or something that's that looks yeah. real. And then there's the environments are fantastic. The water simulations are fantastic. And then you plop in this cartoony looking dinosaur. And in fact, all the cartoony looking dinosaurs and this cartoony looking human inside this real world environment. And it seems a little off. And I'm wondering if that is also off putting to audiences. Yeah, I can see that. I definitely uh like the scenes where like the water is like rushing through the river or something like they yeah. look so realistic oh, yeah. yeah but it actually weirdly took me out of it yeah yeah so you've seen it um, too yeah no i have i did I, I actually went to see it when it came out oh okay yeah i was just i was surprised it was a it was a decent movie but the environmental rendering was just phenomenal and, and it wouldn't surprise me if there's not a technical oscar up for this movie next year well just because so um, anything else, uh, Zach? Uh, no, uh, I'm good. I know that we will be watching Victoria next week, and you can go grab that over on iTunes. Uh, in the meantime, while you're waiting so ever patiently for the next Zach on Film to come out, watch it over at Majorspoilers.com, where you can find news and articles about comic books, movies, and so, so much more. Even more podcasts. Uh, Major Spoilers podcast, Critical Hit, Dueling Reviews, all sorts of things to fill your week of great content. And if you want to support Major Spoilers, you can become a VIP, or you could even use the Amazon.com link over at Majorsports.com to buy all of your goods, buy new video games, buy Run Lola Run on Blu-ray. It's not going to cost you any extra when you use that link, but a little bit will come back to Major Spoilers each time you use it uh, to help keep this entertainment ship afloat. So next week, uh, we will be back with another German thriller with uh, Victoria on Zach on Film. is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. America. 
We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.